Trade is hugely important to U.S. agriculture. In late February, USDA Chief Economist Robert Johansson said his staff predicts total meat and poultry production this year will reach 109 billion pounds and that U.S. agricultural exports will top $139.5 billion. With ongoing trade tensions with China and growing concerns about the economic impact of a potential global coronavirus pandemic, the outlook for U.S. ag trade may be more uncertain than the numbers suggest. One USDA leader, however, is plenty bullish about the prospects for a return to growth in U.S. ag sales abroad. Welcome to Feedstuffs in Focus, our podcast taking a deeper look at the big issues in the livestock, poultry, grain, and feed industries. I'm your host, Andy Vance. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we hear from Ted McKinney, U.S. Department of Agriculture Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Agricultural Affairs, about what USDA is doing to facilitate what he described as free, fair, and reciprocal trade around the world. Earlier this month at the annual USDA Ag Outlook Forum, McKinney sat down with Feedstuff's policy editor, Jackie Fatka, to provide an update on recent trade deals, including USMCA, Japan, and the Phase 1 agreement with China, as well as a look at ongoing work in developing markets. Let's listen in on their conversation. One of the numbers yesterday was the ag export forecast of $139.5 billion uh, in ag exports expected in 2020. That's only up $4 billion, so in some ways that's not quite maybe the promised $40 to $50 billion that maybe a lot of people are expecting. But talk about what you see in the ag export forecast for 2020. Uh, well, first of all, my, my colleagues that do all the nums and the figs, as I like to call them, you know, uh, they are terrific people. And so clearly uh, they provided for the Outlook Conference and people like you their best estimate. Uh, but I always smile at them and say, my goal is to beat them and beat them silly. So we'll see where we come out. Clearly, there's been a lot of developments and I think some wins. Uh, Japan was an enormous win getting on that same tariff reduction rate as the other TPP-11 was simply huge. And so uh, I'm, at least the people I'm talking to are saying, we're catching up quickly on any marginal market share that might have been lost. And so longer term, even intermediate term, uh, I continue to be very excited and bullish about Japan. USMCA is very similar. Now, we still have to see uh, Canada approve, but Minister Bebo on the Outlook uh, panel this morning with the Ag5 spoke very positively about that, that they're proceeding as rapidly as they can. So good. That can't come quickly enough. And mostly because it brings stability and predictability to, to people. So I think that's going to speak well, and we're already seeing growth and regrowth in places like Mexico, uh, just because of how things have been settling and the prognosis for the future. So I won't check that in ink yet, but I'll put that, check that box in, in pencil. China, the phase one agreement is an enormous win. Yes, there are many questions around that coronavirus. Will they honor their commitment? All of these things, but it's a first. It's never happened before. And I would uh, argue that the fact that there are enforceability mechanisms, notably existing tariffs, possibly increased tariffs, don't forget that the Chinese take their image very seriously, as they should, 
And they signed that agreement on a very big and public stage in the East Room of the White House. And even 10, 11, 12 days ago, we understand the President Xi reinforced that they will honor that. So they'll have to get going, won't they? Yes. But I think all these point to a much more positive future, and whether it's the next 12 months, 6 months, 18 months, I think the prognosis is good. And I'll never forget that we're working on a whole lot of other markets. Korea, in their purchases of our beef and pork product, has just been soaring. Taiwan continues to be a very strong market. And we're working very hard. You might know that more of my air miles outside the U.S. have been in the more developing countries. Their incomes are rising. They're now entering more and more in the middle class. And we all know from our history lessons that when that happens, the first thing they do is they buy additional protein and nutrition for the kids. Well, that speaks well to what we sell overseas. So I think overall, I'm still more positive than not, but, uh, but I'll still take the challenge of my folks that do the numbs and figs and see if we can't beat those. How about that? Sounds good. Uh, I always love how bullish you are. I think it's an eternal optimist. It makes everyone feel uh, just a little bit better. Uh, you talked about those developing markets um, and maybe identify, you mentioned Korea, but where do you see some of the most promising developing markets? I know you guys have done a mission in Guatemala uh, and, and maybe also looking back as some of those developing markets that you've really done some work in in your first couple of years here in office, where are we starting to see some good development and more product going out to those countries to really help the bottom line of U.S. farmers? Sure. Well, you remember well when you mentioned Guatemala. That still ranks as the all-time high ag trade mission in the history of the Foreign Ag Service. So it tells us that you can do deals. I would say progress is slow on these. Uh, I remind people that uh, trade in food and ag around the world is categorically not free, fair, and reciprocal. But one step gets you to a second step, gets you to a third step, and we're making progress. To answer your question, you really just simply have to look at those countries who are rising in population. They're the delta between the 7.3 now and what will be 9 or 10 billion people by 2050. And that's where I think we see opportunity because they are also, to their credit, rising in that middle income class. India, Vietnam, Philippines, Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand. So all of those in Asia, Pacific, South uh, East Asia even. I may have missed one or two, but you get the picture. There are still opportunities in Central and South America. You know, we're now really almost ready to see the full completion of the Central America Free Trade Agreement plus the Dominican Republic. With those tariffs now almost removed or at their lowest point, there continue to be uh, opportunities uh, there. So any country that sees that rising population but is also seeing a rise in income offers an opportunity. And I want you to know, we remind them that we seek a two-way street. Uh, I don't know this, but I could imagine that some people might fear the size, the prowess, the quality, the safety of the U.S., and they shouldn't because there is opportunity for both. And uh, I work as hard at trying to bring in exports that they want to send to the U.S. as I do us sending exports to them. Because if I win and they don't, it's a pretty short lived deal and vice versa. So these are the things we're trying to pursue and it's just a matter of shoe leather, airplane seats, red eye flights, all the mix. But I think we're making progress. I really do.
well on your way for the Million Mile Club. I think that was the goal when you came in, I imagine. Uh, Talk about where the places you're headed this year for the trade missions that uh, you are overseeing. Obviously, it's a a usually good mix. You usually try to do several different ones. So maybe talk through some of the areas that you are looking to head to this year in 2020. Sure. Well, let me start by saying we owe uh, the, the Congress in 2014 a huge thank you because they created the opportunity for Secretary of Ag, this case Secretary Purdue, to create this standalone pres- uh, undersecretary. And that really has made a lot of difference because we can just be singularly focused external. So because of that, in the past, uh, USDA had about three, occasionally four big ag trade missions per year. We immediately doubled that to six. This year is seven, and if we can ever get back to China with one, two, three, we could pop into the eight, nine, ten category. But to answer your questions, uh, we'll be going here in a a very short while to Morocco, and that will bring in the countries of Algeria, Libya, Morocco, of course, and Tunisia. Next up in April is the Philippines, June, is the combination of Spain and Portugal. September is the UK and Ireland. We're very excited. I, I'm, I, I think we're going to have to turn people away given the enthusiasm for that market. Australia and New Zealand in October, Peru in November, and the United Arab Emirates in November. In fact, I just got back from Dubai about 52 hours ago, and I think the, Gulf, the GCC, the Middle East, represents a, a great opportunity. And you know, for each of these, it's almost uh, uncanny that the question of whether our U.S. products are safe, wholesome, of quality, unquestioned, unparalleled. And so you at least have that to go in, and then it's just a matter of all the other issues. You had mentioned um, being able to do these trade missions. Uh, uh, Part of that also, you had some extra funds from the trade aid package that came out through uh, the market facilitation programs, both in 2019 and 2020. I know you were always wanting folks to come back to you to tell you their success stories, how that money was able to, to do what it was intended, which was to help develop new markets, create opportunities in this trade disruption that we saw the last couple of years. Maybe share any stories that you've got from the the last couple of years that we did see some additional funds go directly towards trade development. Well, I'll have to get back to you on the specifics because there's been so many and my head isn't into that. But, But let me just say that we hear regularly from people, and you're speaking of the ag trade promotion funds, the ATP funds, so I, I kid my friend across the aisle, Bill Northey, for getting the billions, and we got millions. But listen, we're capable. We leverage those. And it was a total of $300 million. And we encouraged our teams to, of course, think about where they take those carefully. In some cases, they wanted to apply them to countries like Mexico and Canada. Let's get to know each other again after the, the difficulties of USMCA. China is on that list. But mostly we said take these to markets that you just haven't been to before. And the stories we're hearing are unbelievable. Incredible creativity by these people. Really, truly opening up new markets. Uh, I'll give you one. Um, I was with the Almond Board of California, and by extension, Blue Diamond, and I saw, goodness, I forget which country, um, an example of where they're taking their their, uh, uh, Almond Breeze product, you know, the uh, the liquid product, and they got into the country for the first time, 
and they saw 100% increase in sales in one country, and in the nearby country, it's 300%. And these are hard and fast orders. These are not make-believe, let's talk further. And the creativity shown in other areas is amazing. So we're going to be compiling those, so hold that question for more specifics. But they have done exactly as both they and we wish, and we couldn't be more pleased. I know, obviously, one of the big issues that you deal with is not necessarily tariff reduction, but the SPS issues, sanitary and phytosanitary issues. Where are you working hard right now to maybe fix some SPS issues, things that have been hanging over the ag industry, the livestock industry, that you are maybe continuing to try to press some significant changes? With the help of, of a great team with the Foreign Ag Service, you know, we're at 95 embassies and by extension 130 around the world. And with USTR, you could almost throw a dart at any spot on the map and you'd hit a spot where we're working. But to be sure, we're focusing on those uh, where we think we have opportunities. And so we just listed many of the countries of Southeast Asia, South Pacific, Central South America. But, but I'd say the big, big enchilada, if I can use that word, is the incredible, incredible difficulty of Europe. I am quite depressed, notwithstanding how wedded we are, how tight we have been, with a couple of world wars and NATO, most of my relatives came from uh, Europe. Uh, the precautionary principle has a stranglehold around their neck and it's getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And if they want a deal, we're gonna have to see some significant change. So we are working with them and I hope it's a spirit of cooperation, but I think patience by a lot of people, including the guy in the White House is running very thin. We're hopeful, we're looking optimistically. So that's one. The UK offers an opportunity. They Brexited because, my words, not theirs, they too have felt that chokehold of uh, Brussels, not just on food and ag, but so many other things. So I gotta extend that beyond just food and ag, and that's our world, but so many others. And protectionism is rampant, it's, it, it's existing. And I understand it, you know, I don't wanna be too critical because I understand you wanna protect your farmers. In many countries, they're a pretty large voting block, more so perhaps than the US. You don't wanna harm them, we don't either. That's why we sit and put the shoe leather and the airplane miles to go help them understand that we think there's a win, win here. But we're chasing these in many, many countries. And I think we're seeing some wins. A lot of it is the leverage of the GSP monies. We provide tax credit dollars for developing countries. Some of them quite sizable, two to seven billion in some cases. And I think they're understanding they better be honoring the letter of the law on the GSP or that will be taken away. And I think we're seeing some leverage and some improvements there. The, the president has a acid test, if I can use that phrase, of what's the deficit? Is the deficit growing or is it shrinking? We have some very big deficits with many countries in the world, which does not make sense. So that's another leverage point, and we're working with them. And so the good thing is the people know that our president means business. He doesn't seek an advantage. He just wants free, his words, his words, free, fair, and reciprocal trade. How do you argue with that? So I echo that time and time again, and so we're working on it. The good news is this. When you show up, it shows that you mean business. When you show up a second time, they really know you mean business. And usually, usually, when you show up the third time, you're friends, and you can start working on these things, and that's what we're trying to do.
Undersecretary for Trade, Ted McKinney. It is so great to hear the fact that you are out there and making sure you don't just show up the first time, second time, but the third time to really speak on behalf of farmers. So thanks so much for taking the time today. I appreciate it. Surely. And I didn't answer your question about miles. I think I'm about 400, maybe 450,000. It would have probably been up to 600 had the coronavirus not set in and had we not seen the drawback from China for those many, many months. But hey, we'll get there eventually, I think. <laughs> eventually. You know, is there anything else that you're hoping to accomplish yet this year? Final, I mean, obviously you don't know if this will be your last year, but it could be. And so are there some kind of guideposts that you're hoping to, to hit by the end of the year? Well, the legacy question. Well, uh, I would say uh, first that perhaps one less well-known thing is that, is that we've reorganized the foreign ag service and we hope that we're even more effective. This is an outstanding group and we're going not from good to, to great, but very good to great. And so I hope that's part of that legacy. But the other one is that I hope we can look back and say we did right by our major partners the USMCA countries, Japan, China, Korea, Taiwan, I'm missing some, but that we also made a serious headway into countries where we hadn't spent as much time. That's my hope. So we'll see. Very good. Again, uh, USDA Undersecretary Ted McKinney. My thanks to Feedstuff's policy editor, Jackie Fatka, and USDA Undersecretary Ted McKinney for an enlightening discussion. You can read Jackie's coverage of the USDA Ag Outlook Forum and developments in global trade in the pages of Feedstuffs and by subscribing to our Feedstuffs Daily e-newsletter. I'm Andy Vance, and you've been listening to Feedstuffs In Focus. If you want to hear more conversations about some of the biggest issues affecting the livestock, poultry, grain, and feed industries, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, or you can always listen via our website, feedstuffs.com, for future episodes. Until next time, have a great day, and thanks for listening.